Uh, a few weeks ago, we started a series uh, that we were calling New Things, New Things. And the series is all about the Bible. And, and you may have asked yourself the question, why did we start the year talking about the Bible specifically? Well, the reason why we did this was because uh, what we shared a few weeks ago about some of the, the data points about what is happening in, in our culture. And, and basically, the data points suggested that we are becoming what is referred to as a biblically illiterate society. And all that means is that there is a growing percentage of our general population that is becoming less and less familiar with the principles and the promises and the truths that come from Scripture. And so what that means for us on a really practical level is that the Bible feels more like a stranger than it does a friend. The Bible feels like that neighbor that lives down the hall that you pass by all the time and maybe you've gotten their name but you've never had a meaningful conversation. It, it, the Bible for a lot of us feels like that person that we go to the gym with at the same time and you see them on the treadmill every morning but you never actually talk to them. Okay, for a lot of us, the Bible feels more like a stranger and less like a friend. And so the goal of this series over the last three weeks has been to focus our attention on talking about the Bible to set a framework for the types of conversations that we intend to have for the rest of the year. And our prayer, our prayer in this church is that by the end of this year, if you started this year and you felt like the Bible was less familiar, that by the end of this year, the Bible would feel more like a friend uh, than a stranger. And so in week one, we asked the question, why is the Bible worth knowing? Why is the Bible worth knowing? And we answered the question by saying it is worth knowing because it was worth knowing to Jesus. When you look at the life of Jesus, we see that Jesus meditated on scripture. He memorized scripture. He saturated his life and his mind in scripture. And he was so familiar with God's word that whenever he needed it, he could use it. And we saw when Jesus, right at the beginning of his ministry, was led into the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights. And then he was tempted by the devil. And you'll notice Jesus' response. Every time the devil tried to tempt him with a lie, what did Jesus do? He confronted the devil with a greater truth from scripture. He leveraged God's word as a defense against the attack, attacks uh, in his life. Week two, we asked the question, what is the Bible for? And we said the Bible, even though it answers a lot of circumstantial questions in our life, important big questions that we're asking, the Bible was not primarily written to answer our questions. It was not meant to be an answer book. And we also said that the Bible was not meant to reaffirm our pre-existing beliefs. And the reason why we mention that, because next week, we're going to start reading through the Bible together, the entire Bible. And what we know is going to happen is you're going to be in the Old Testament, and you're going to read some stuff that does not feel comfortable to your modern sensibilities. You're going to read it, and you're going to say, this can't be right, this feels weird, this feels off. And so when that happens, as you read through the Old Testament, just remember, oh, wait, the Bible was not meant to reaffirm my pre-existing beliefs about what is right and what is wrong, okay? So you don't have to reject the Bible if you feel like there's something that feels off when you read the Bible. And we're going to talk about those things when we come to them. And so then what is the Bible written for? What was it meant for? The Bible was written to tell God's story so that we could know God and walk with God. The Bible was written to tell God's story so that we could know God and walk with him. And like any story, the point of the Bible is that you would get lost in the narrative. 
that we would become so familiar with God's word that when we face certain life situations, we would begin to see God's promises, see our reality through the lens of God's promises. It was meant to be a story that we got lost in. And so we talked about that last week. Today I want to talk about the meaning of the Bible. How do we understand the Bible? And to do that, we're going to look at an amazing piece of scripture, one of the coolest passages in the New Testament, Luke chapter 24. And just to set up kind of the scene that we're stepping into this morning, uh, we have uh, Jesus who was recently just crucified. And during this time, there were rumors of Jesus' resurrection. These two ladies went to the tomb where Jesus was buried. They went to perform these ceremonial rituals. And when they arrived, Jesus' body was gone. They encountered two angels. The angels said, he's not here. They go back down and they start telling everybody, Jesus, his body was gone. He is resurrected from the dead. And so this is where we pick up. And let me just warn you, we're going to read a lot of, a lot of scripture this morning. So we're going to turn on, try to focus on the text the best that we can. We'll take a few breaks, but just want to prepare you ahead of time. We're going to be reading through a lot of passages. So Luke 24, verse 13. It says, the same day, two of Jesus' followers were walking to the village of Emmaus, seven miles from Jerusalem. And as they walked along, they were talking about everything that had happened. And so these guys were followers of Jesus, probably disciples of Jesus. And back in the day, if you were going to follow Jesus, uh, it required a lot of sacrifice. Oftentimes, when you decided to follow Jesus, it broke some of the relationships that you had with your family. You were ostracized from your community. Sometimes you lost status in your work situation. And even there were moments where people were persecuted and, and murdered and killed because of their commitment to follow Jesus. And so these two guys, like everyone else who was a follower of Jesus, was really discouraged when they saw that Jesus had died. But they were also confused because of the rumors that were going around that he had re resurrected from the dead. And so they were processing it. Verse 15. It says, as they talked and discussed these things, Jesus himself suddenly came and began walking with them. But God kept them from recognizing him. Verse 17, he asked them, what are you discussing so intently as you walk along? I think we, I've read this passage so many times, but when I read it now, it just seems so funny. These guys were over here doing their thing, and all of a sudden, Jesus inserts himself into their conversation. He's like, yo, dudes, what, what are you guys talking about? And, uh, and he disguised himself. And so it's kind of an interesting thing, but this is where it starts to get a little dramatic, okay? Verse, uh, the next verse, verse, end of verse 17 when Jesus asked this question, it says, they stopped short, sadness written across their faces. Then one of them, Cleopas, replied, you must be the only person in Jerusalem who hasn't heard about all these things that have happened there the last few days. <laughs> okay, take it easy, Cleo. <laughs> tone it down a little bit, buddy, all right? I know you're part of the Insiders Club. But take it easy. It was an honest question. Just tell Jesus what you guys were talking about. So verse 19, Jesus plays along what things Jesus asked. The things that happened to Jesus, the man from Nazareth, they said. He was a prophet who did powerful miracles. And he was a mighty teacher in the eyes of God and all the people. But our leading priests and other religious leaders handed him over to be condemned to death. And they crucified him. We had hoped he was the Messiah who had come to rescue Israel. This all happened three days ago. Now, from my perspective, I thought that that was a relatively accurate description of what happened. 
But Jesus may have still been a little upset uh, at, at Cleopas' response because this was Jesus' response. Verse 25, then Jesus said to them, you foolish people, you find it so hard to believe all, the, all that the prophets wrote in scriptures. Wasn't it clearly predicted that the Messiah would have to suffer all these things before entering his glory? Then Jesus took them through the writings of Moses and all the prophets, explaining from all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And so Jesus is walking along, having a conversation with these two men who are on the road to Emmaus, and he is processing uh, with them the events that they are talking about, and he realizes that they do not understand what is going on. And so he gives an Old Testament, when it talks about the law of Moses and the prophets, it's referring to the Old Testament, and he gives them like, a, like a, an, an Old Testament summary, and he's telling them how the events that had just taken place fit into the promise that was predicted thousands of years ago in the Old Testament. Verse 28, it says, By this time they were nearing Emmaus, and the end of their journey... Just Jesus acted as if he were going on, but they begged him, stay the night with us since it's getting late. So he went home with them, and as they sat down to eat, he took the bread and he blessed it. And then he broke it and he gave it to them. And suddenly their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And at that moment, he disappeared. It is so powerful. It says, finally, for whatever reason, as he sat with Jesus and broke bread, as they sat with Jesus and broke bread with Jesus, uh, they, they finally recognize him. And in that moment, it says almost immediately he disappears. And this next line coming up has got to be my favorite line in the story and really the purpose for why we're talking about this passage today. Verse 30, 32, it says, They said to each other, Didn't our hearts burn within us as he talked with us on the road and he explained Scripture to us? I love this story. Because it is a picture of how sometimes it is hard to understand the meaning of Scripture. And part of the reason why it is hard to understand the Bible sometimes is because every time we approach the Bible, it requires us to interpret the passage, to interpret what was written. And this is what we know, is that the Bible was written in a different culture and in a different time and to a different group of people. And so that means that when we approach Scripture, it requires us to have at least some level of a skill set to say, what does, this, what does this mean for me? Dr. John Walton said, we believe that the Bible was written for us, that it's for everyone of all times and places because it's God's word. But it wasn't written to us. It wasn't written in our language, and it wasn't written with our culture in mind. And so that means that when we read the Bible, we have to interpret what it means in our context. Now, what that doesn't mean is that when we read the Bible, we get to make it say whatever we want it to say. We don't just get to say, this is what I think it means, and therefore, this is how, how it is to be applied. When we read the Bible, it means that we have to discover the truth of the authorial intent, what the author meant to say when he was writing the passage. And we have to discover what is the transferable application to our time and to our context. That is the skill set of interpreting the Bible. Let me give you a little bit of an example. If you begin to read the Bible at some point in the Old Testament, you will find instructions on how to properly make an oath with another individual. 
Okay, and in the ancient times, the way that you made an official oath is you would stick your hand under the thigh of another man. And so, I don't think you guys are under, Mark, come, let's demonstrate that. <laughs> I'm just kidding, only my wife gets the special treatment. Hello. So the question we're asking ourselves when we read the Bible is what does this passage mean? And do you know why that is such an important question? That will take time and wisdom and discernment. It's important because the way that we interpret the Bible actually impacts the way that we live. The way, we be, the way that we see scripture informs the way that we engage in some of our most important relationships. It tells us how to deal with conflict. So the way we interpret scripture impacts the way we live. Second Peter chapter three, verse 15 says, and remember, our Lord's patience gives people time to be saved. This is what our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you with the wisdom God gave him. Verse 16, speaking of these things in all of his letters, some of his commandments are hard to understand and those who are ignorant and unstable have twisted his letters to mean something quite different, just as they do with other parts of scripture. And this will result in their destruction. And so Peter is talking about the Apostle Paul's teaching and there are a few things that we pick up in, in this short little passage. Number one, Peter acknowledges that sometimes Scripture is hard to understand. If you have ever been reading the Bible, and at the end of your time with God's Word, you're like, what did that mean? What could that possibly have meant? If you've ever felt that you're not alone, even Peter, whose writings are in the Bible, said that sometimes Scripture is hard to understand. So you're in good company. Number two, he says, but there's a problem. That ignorant people have tried to twist scripture to mean something different than what it was intended to mean. And this is what he said. This is why he says it is ignorant. He says, because when you twist God's word for your own agenda, it will lead to your destruction. It will lead to your destruction. And it doesn't take much for us to observe history to know that what Peter is saying right now is true. We found out that when you twist scripture to support something as evil as slavery, it will lead to destruction. When you try to twist scripture to support something as evil as Nazi Germany, it will lead to destruction. And we are finding that out in our own culture. Twisting God's word is convenient for a moment, but it will always lead to the path of destruction. And if I can be a little bit transparent here this morning, I feel like church sometimes is a counseling session. Sometimes for me, it's easier to be transparent here than it is in personal conversations. And I'm working on that. My counselor said that's a problem. <laughs> but maybe, maybe some of you are like me, and you have probably felt the temptation when you read something in the Bible to, that, doesn't, that you doesn't sit well with your sensibilities, and maybe if you're like me, you have tried to explain why it doesn't apply to your life. Does God really want me to forgive someone who has hurt me? Does God really want me to be generous to people I don't know? Does God really want me to consider others as more important than myself? Does God really expect me to live a radically sacrificial life? Peter says that when you twist God's word, it leads to your own destruction. Don't do it. Take scripture for what it was meant to be. 
So the question then for us this morning is how do we know what the Bible means? How do we discover the authorial intent? Here are a few questions to get us started. Number one, we have to ask ourselves the question, how does the Bible want to be read? How does the Bible want to be read? I'm so sorry. Can I get some water, please? Thank you. I, I can tell. It's getting, getting parched a little bit. Thank you. Okay. We have to ask ourselves the question, how does the Bible want to be read? N.T. Wright, in his book, Simply Christian, says we don't read the Bible literally, necessarily. We read the Bible literarily. The Bible is full of passage, passages which really do intend to describe things that happen in the real world, and for that matter, to command and forbid various types of actions which occur in the real world. Hysterically, there have been two camps that have emerge when it comes to how we approach the Bible. On the one side, you approach the Bible and you take a literal stance. That means that when you read the Bible, you read it as a literal text, that what it's saying really happened. And, uh, and, and if you read the Bible literally, then oftentimes you may have been accused as being the type of person who doesn't believe in science, all right? These are, these are arguments, types, right? Arguments and types. The other side is that you take the Bible metaphorically, and if you take the Bible metaphorically, then chances are you've been accused of not believing in the Bible at all. What Wright is suggesting is that we do take the Bible literally, that it's real and true, recording real events in human history, but he said we also take the Bible literarily, recognizing that the Bible was communicated through a narrative story, that there were literary genres in which the Bible decided to communicate God's truth. You have narrative and Hebrew poetry, and you have teaching, and you have all these different types of, of, of literary communication. And so he's not just saying it's literal or metaphorical. He's saying it's literal, but you also have to understand how to read the Bible. How does the Bible want to be read? He, also, he goes on to say that the God of, of whom the Bible speaks is, after all, the creator of the world. And part of the point of the whole story is that he loves that world and intends to rescue it, that he puts his plan into operation through a series of concrete events in actual human history. N.T. Wright is saying that the Bible is a true story of human history from God's perspective. But it does that Literarily, it does it through different genres of literature. And so let me give you an example. And we do this a lot really naturally. Imagine if you decided to go to Barnes & Noble, the actual store, not the website, to buy books, all right? Anyone buy books at Barnes & Noble? Come on now, here we go, here we go. All right, I like what I'm seeing here. Imagine if you go to Barnes & Noble and you're perusing through the different aisles and the different shelves, uh, you will naturally and intuitively, intuitively adjust the way that you are observing the books that you're looking at. Imagine if you walked into the cookbook section. Automatically, you would know that you are about to read an instructional book that is meant to teach you something. You would put that on as you read the book. But then imagine you walked over to the aisle that talks about American history. When you got into that aisle, you would put on the lens, assuming that when you open up that book, uh, you, are, you, you assume that you will read someone's account of actual past events. Imagine if you went to the poetry section. This was the hardest to explain. I don't really know what you would do. <laughs> would you, what? You, I don't know, read some beautiful literature expressed through 
someone's personal experience. I really didn't know how to clarify that, but you get the point. Automatically, when we begin to move in and out of different types of literature, our minds adjust to the way that we would read those, that content. Dave Lomas, a pastor in this city, uh, said, uh, which has really helped, to, his, his talks have really helped to inform the conversations that we've had over the last few weeks, but he said it's important when we try to get to the meaning of what we're reading, we have to pay attention to how what we're reading wants to be read. How does the text want to be read? Number two, the second question we can ask ourselves is, where are we at in the story? Tim Keller writes this. He says, the reason for our confusion over the Bible is that we usually read the Bible as a series of disconnected stories, each with a moral for how we should live our lives. He goes, it is not. Rather, it comprises of a single story telling us how the human race got to its present condition and how God, through Jesus Christ, has come and will come to put things all right. So what Tim Keller is saying is that when we try to read all these separate parts of the Bible independent of one another, we really don't, it's hard to make sense of how they're all tied together. But if we understand that the Bible was written as a unified story, then it makes it more powerful for us to understand where each story fits into the big narrative of the one story of God's, God's word. I had an opportunity several years ago uh, to go to Israel, and we did one of those tours, and if you've ever done that, they're really amazing because you see all these powerful sites. What's interesting about being Israel, and I felt very uneasy about this thought that was happening in my mind, but after we visited the first like 4,000, after we visited the first several sites that were four, over 4,000 years old, I started getting, I was like, oh, this is only 3,000 years old. This stuff is, all, this stuff is only 2,000. We were at, we were just at, you know, Abraham's gate. That's 5,000 years old. Interesting what happens to you when you're there. But what's crazy about the whole experience is that every day, every day you go on like, you visit 10, 7 to 10 different sites. And, uh, and I remember after like the second day, I was just, everything was just kind of blurring together. There was like no distinction between where we were at in Israel. And I remember telling my pastor who was on the trip, I said, Pastor, pastor this, I said, it feels like we're drinking water from a fire hydrant here. I was like, my brain has no more capacity to receive any new content at this point. Anything that comes in, there's something's going out. And, uh, and he said this really power, powerful phrase. He says, it usually takes a few trips to Israel before it all starts to fit together. Before it all starts to fit together in the theme. And I think that that is what Jesus was helping these two men on the road to Emmaus figure out. They were experiencing these events in real life. And they could not connect what was happening to them in their moment to the larger story of God. And so what Jesus said is, I want to show you in Scripture how what has happened over the last few days is actually something that has been predicted for thousands of years. How it is part of the larger story. And so whenever we read the Bible, that's what we have to ask ourselves. Where are we at in the story? And so the old adage applies, don't miss for the forest for the trees. It matters where we're at in the story. The final question that we should ask ourselves, that we can't ask ourselves, is what should we do now? How do we live this out? If we've taken the time to observe scripture and interpret scripture, then how do we apply scripture? Because so much of understanding the Bible is not just the process of reading scripture 
or studying scripture. It is the process of actually applying it to our lives and watching how God changes us through it. We started this series three weeks ago. We're calling it New Things. It's all about the Bible, but the shadow side of that statement is really all about how the Bible creates in us a new thing. How the Bible has the power to change us from the inside out. So we ask the question, what should we do now? And there are three ways that we can approach this question. The first way is to say, I really uh, like the Bible when it supports what I already think I should do. All right? All of us are in that camp at some degree. All right? First of all, that's one way to approach it. The second way is to say, I actually believe what the Bible is tr- says is true. And because I believe it's true, I guess I have to submit to it. And I'll just say that that approach doesn't typically last that long. It's hard for most of us to be forced to do something out of obligation. But then there's the third way. And it says, God, because I trust your word and I believe that you are good and true, I want to do what you have asked me to do. Psalm chapter 119, verse 29 through 32 says, your statutes are wonderful, therefore I obey them. The unfolding of your word gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. I am open my mouth and I pant longing for your commands. Turn to me and have mercy as you always do for those who love your name. Look at how the psalmist describes his relationship with God's word. He describes its value to him. And he doesn't say that it's a burden. He doesn't see it as like this limiting factor in his life. He doesn't think that it is unjust. He says, your words are wonderful. Therefore, I will obey them. I feel like the older I get, the more God's word consistently feels like a blessing and a lot less like a burden. The more I see God's word, the more I think that it's powerful that he has given us in all of his grace, access to his wisdom. And the more that I study God's word and the older that I get, the more that God's words prove themselves to be true. And I think that this is what happened to the guys on the road to Emmaus. Verse 32, they said to each other, did our hearts not burn within us as he talked with us on the road and he explained scripture to us? That is the power of what happens in the human heart when we start to make sense of God's word, God's word in our lives. It affects us and it changes us at the deepest levels of who we are. A few few years ago, I read a book called, it's called The Gospel Comes with a House Key. And uh, it tells the story of a lady named Rosaria Butterfield. And this was her own description of herself. She said, I was a liberal left-wing professor of English at a university on the East Coast. And she also said that she identified as part of the LGBT community. In her own words, she explained that in this season of life, she wanted absolutely nothing to do with Jesus, the church, or with God. But eventually, uh, she met a pastor uh, who lived down the street from her. And the reason why she met him was because she was conducting some research uh, on the church. And so she sent him an email requesting a meeting. When she did, he invited her over to his house for dinner with his family. And that began their relationship and she would continue to reach out uh, for meetings and ask questions. And for several months, he just sat with her, with his family and he answered one question after the other. 
And as part of this process, she had questions about the Bible. And as he would explain scripture, Rosario Butterfield on the back, back end of her experience, she said, I noticed how my heart began to change. Where she went from this person who despised everything about the Christian religion, as she began to understand scripture in a different way, as she built a relationship with this person who was non-threatening and non-judgmental, but simply communicated God's word, she noticed that her heart began to change. It changed toward the church. Her views changed on the Bible. She changed the way that she thought about Christianity. And eventually God radically transformed this woman's life. That is the goal this year. That we would be the type of people that allow for God's word to change us from the inside out. And we gotta remember, it's not just learning about the Bible. We said this in the first week of our series, the reason why we go to the Bible is because it points us to Jesus. The Bible doesn't change us, Jesus changes us. We go to the Bible because the Bible points, points to him. Hebrews chapter four, verse 12 says, for the word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between the soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. That is the power of God's word. And we might be saying, well, where do we start? Well, doing a Bible reading plan in the church, okay? And we still got seven days left, and that is an easy first step. You can go to our website, eden.church forward slash fast, and just join the app. All the information's there. And for the next seven days, start putting this in your rhythm. Start taking steps to start incorporating God's Word, God's Word in your life. Number two, next week, we're stepping it up, you guys. This is a big, I don't even know what we're doing. We might quit halfway through, but we're going to try. Okay, next week we're gonna start our one year Bible reading plan together. And we're gonna try together to work through the entire Bible. If you are someone who's been a follower of Jesus for a long time, but you've never read through the entire Bible, this is the time to do it. Next week we're gonna have all the information for you to do that with us, but why not? Why not try, see how long we can last. That's what I do with my diets. Number three is I wanna encourage you to join a group. Every week we have our tent out there. Consider joining a group, finding a Jesus-oriented community of friends through a group. Because in these groups, we get to unpack the conversations that we have Sunday morning a little bit beyond what we're able to do today. We get to com conversate about the Bible and how that applies to our life. And studying scripture as a group is so much better than studying by yourself. So I wanna encourage you to consider doing that. And there are some of you today that maybe have showed up to this place very distant from God. And the first thought on your mind is not how to understand the Bible, you are looking for a relationship with something and someone that will give you significance in this life. For you today, your next step is to cross the finish line of faith and say, I am ready to surrender the life that I have clung to and controlled and I'm ready to allow for God to come into my life because I believe that he can do better with my heart than I can. If that's you this morning, we're gonna take just a moment and we're gonna take a moment just to pray. And, uh, and today, if you've come ready to, ready to begin a relationship with Jesus, I want you to pray this prayer after me in your heart. So I'm gonna ask everyone to bow their heads and close their eyes. 
And if today you're ready to make that step with Jesus, you can repeat after me in your heart. Dear God, thank you for loving me when I didn't even know you were there. Thank you for protecting me when I wanted nothing to do with you. And God, I wanna thank you for bringing me to this place today so that I could be reminded of your deep love for me and the fact that you sent your son to die on the cross for my sins so that I didn't have to carry the weight of sin or shame for the rest of my life. I believe that your blood, your sacrifice can wash me clean. And today I believe that you loved me enough to sacrifice the life of your son so that I could be in right relationship with you. I'm ready to step out of the old life and into the new. God, would you give me the strength to follow you in the days to come? In Jesus' name, I believe. I'm gonna ask you to keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed. And this morning, I'm gonna ask for those of you who prayed that in your heart to take one more bold step of faith and to raise your hand on the count of three. And the reason why we do this is because every week we pray that this would be a coming to Jesus moment for someone in our church. And we know that when we respond to God physically, when he is doing something spiritually, it solidifies something on our journey. And so on the count of three, for those of you that prayed that prayer, I'm gonna ask you to raise your hand. One, you cannot imagine how deep and wide God's love for you is. Number two, you did not show up to this place on accident. Three, go ahead and raise your hand this morning. I see you, I see you, I see you, I see you, I see you. Any others? Any others? Today's the day. I want to encourage those of you who are tuning in online, if if that's you today, go ahead and click the button. At the bottom of the screen, we have a host team member that would love to get you some resources to help you grow in your journey of faith. Father, we thank you so much for today. We thank you for your deep love for us. And God, we ask that you would help us to see more of you in our everyday life. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you guys do me a favor this morning and celebrate every life that stepped into faith this morning?